I started today and I didn't think I had anybody. And Shane stood up and said, I'm here. And then I looked up and more came in. And then I looked up and more came in. And you guys are crazy. Big, large group of people don't even have enough room to sit on the front pew. You don't sit on the care if you sit on the floor. I care if I sit on the floor. I can't get back up off the floor if I sit on the floor. And you guys, where are you at? You and you, where's your tan? I know, I'm kidding. These people just got off a plane yesterday, right? No. This morning? Oh, well, last night. We got here at like 5 in the morning. All of you look at this. These people got off the plane at 5 this morning, and where are they? Thank you, moms and dads, grandmas, aunties and uncles. Oh, aunties, aunties, mom and dad are sleeping. No, I'm just <laughs> well, thank you guys for being here. I saw the pictures on Facebook that your folks shared. Did you guys have shave ice while you yeah. were there? Uh-huh. I love shave ice. No, and, but like, they put condensed milk on it and it was pretty good. So it was almost like having ice cream, right? They just got back from Hawaii. They were swimming on the beach last week. And, and Eleanor has this really cool woven hat. It was really neat. Did you? Oh, she brought it. Cool. Yeah. Go get it. Show it to him. I saw it. I saw it already. Yeah, she brought it. Not everybody saw it. Wow. I like it. I like it. And that flower, do you know what that flower is called? Uh, no. It's plumeria. Plumeria. That's the flower that's on her hat. They, that, that one's not a real flower, though, right? That's, that's a silk flower, right? But if it was a real flower, it smells like perfume. It's really, really beautiful. See, that's a fake flower, but, but they, they have the real flowers. They actually make them into lays, or you can wear them on your hats and stuff. And you can always tell the difference because their smell is so beautiful. The plumeria flower smells wonderful. That looks pretty, but it doesn't smell nice because it does, it's not real. It's fake. And that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the difference between real and fake. What do, you, do you know what real means? What does the word real mean? What? Real means that you exist. What else? That is something that is something that is real that has been made, made not fake and like almost like paper, like something that looks like something real. But okay. Not. Okay. What do you think, Eleanor? Um, I think it's like like some candles are real and some are fake. Some candles are real and some are fake. Okay, Elliot. What do you think? Um, like. Something you can physically see and touch. Something you can physically see and touch. Is that real or fake? That's something that you can touch and see is real. Okay. That's real. Okay. Uh, yes, ma'am? Mariah? Some leaves aren't real. They're like made out of like silk or, or like out of cloth, right? They look real, but they're not real. And then some leaves are real. So... Exactly. Some are dead. They, were, they are real leaves, but they are no longer attached to the tree or the plant, so they're dead. And then there are other leaves that look like they used to be real, but they're really not. They're just made out of plastic or made out of... Well, I want to show you something that I hope is real. <laughs> I really hope it's real. I have two $100 bills. Now, I was going to let you hold them. Nah, not going to do it. No, I'm going to let you hold them. 
Okay, I want you to be careful, okay? Because I have to get these back. Because I have to have these to be able to buy stuff. But look at those things. Aren't they cool? Elliot, half of them are now. Um, this one is fake. How I do you know? <laughs> because it doesn't have that. It doesn't have this stripe and it doesn't feel real this feels like kind of feel that feels that feels more real and feels and this is big this is a toy that's a that's a toy yeah from our school that's rough that one's elliot's giving this real deep scrutiny to both of them he's 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 studying them really hardly really hard There's a strip in them, you can tell? Oh, be careful with them. I don't want them to get torn, okay? Isn't it? It's, it's interesting, right? Well, let me tell you. So, well, has everybody had a chance to look? Have you guys had a chance to look? Come on over here and, let's, and look at these. Okay, I'll take them back now because I have to have them both to show you what I want to talk about. <laughs> Let me tell you, they're both real. Isn't that crazy? They don't look the same, do they? But they're both real. And you know how you can tell? I don't know. <laughs> That's why I hope they're real because I plan to spend them. But there are some things that are different, right? Because, like, see, like, who pointed out there was this strip here? I did. Right? There's this blue, shiny strip there. And look at the picture of Benjamin Franklin. It's not exactly the same anymore, is it? And then if you look at the back, what's on the back? The big 100 in gold, right? And then the other one only has four of the same kind of 100s. But what it is is this was the style of the way that they made $100 bills for a long time. But then people started making fake $100 bills. That's called counterfeit. And so because people were able to make fake counterfeit $100 bills, they had to come up with more and harder ways for people to not be able to make one, fake $100 bills. And so they added all of these different things, like this, stri this stripe that's in there. That's very hard to make a, a fake. Huh? And there are there's tiny little 100s in it. You were seeing all of that. So that's that what they've done is they've made it so that it's harder to make fake. However, there are still people that are trying to, to, to trick people and to make fake $100 bills. And what they do then is they go to the bank and they say, I need to, to get five $20 bills. And so they give the teller the fake $100 bill, and then they receive five real $20 bills, and so they've now stolen $100 from the bank, right? Because they gave the bank something that wasn't real. So how do tellers, the people that work at the bank, know that this is a real $100 bill? They have to test it. Some, if you go to the bank, sometimes you'll see they have a little black marker, and sometimes they put it on and mark it on it like a magic marker, and it turns a certain color. And if it turns the right color, they know it's real. If it doesn't turn the right color, they know it's not real. So they have to test it. And so I wanted to teach you that because there's a Bible verse I want to show you. 
The Bible verse is found in chapter, I mean, in, found in chapter 4 of the first book that was written by the Apostle John, the first letter that was written by the Apostle John. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. My dear, love, my dear ones, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So that's one way you can test. If, for example, if I, as your pastor, started saying, Jesus isn't real, you would know that I am telling a lie. Because what does the Bible say? Jesus is real. And so if somebody tries to teach you that Jesus isn't real, that Jesus really didn't come into the, onto the earth and didn't really live on the earth and wasn't really the son of God, then you know they're lying. You know they're fake. You know they're a false teacher. And you, the way you know it is you have to know what the Bible says. And that's why it's important for you to know what the Bible says so that you don't get tricked. Just like bank tellers have to know what a real dollar bill or real hundred dollar bill looks like so that they don't get tricked. So you guys need to learn the Bible backwards, forwards, inside and out so that you'll know when somebody is trying to trick you and tell you a false story about God. I want to pray with you right now, okay? God, I ask that you bless these kids. And I ask, Lord, that you would please help them. Help them, God, to understand the truth of your word. Even at this young age, God, Solidify in their spirits what is truth. The word of God tells us that your Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And I pray that you help these kids to learn to clearly hear your Holy Spirit as he guides them into truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys are going to go sit back with your folks today, okay? Because your teacher's not here today. Because one of them, um, her car wasn't working. And the other one, I don't know where she's at right now. So you guys, go ahead and sit back with your folks. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for not tearing up my $100 bills. We are getting ready, just so you'll know, we are transitioning starting today into what is called the narrative lectionary. So what does that mean to you? That means that you'll be able to look ahead to see what scripture I'm going to be preaching out of each Sunday between now and May. Okay, and it may change beyond May, but between now and May, every Sunday, I'll be preaching out of what's called the narrative lectionary. So you can go online and look it up and it'll tell you exactly the scripture passage that I'm going to be doing. But from the month of January through the month of March, we're going to be looking at the gospel of Mark. It's not going to be a verse by verse exposition. It's not going to be even chapter by chapter exposition necessarily. But over the next 12 weeks, we will be looking at the 16 chapters of the book of Mark. Just to give you a real quick overview, some of you, this is going to be old information. Some of you, this is going to be new information. 
Mark was the very first of all four Gospels to be written. The reason they started writing the Gospels was because the church people, the the people who had known Jesus, were getting older and were dying off. And so Mark wrote this record of the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus. If you go in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of them say, Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm writing this book for you. None of them do. So how do we know who wrote it? Tradition. In other words, from the earliest days of the church, we have the record that the leaders of the church knew this particular writing came from this person. So tradition tells us that the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark. Who is Mark? Turn to Acts chapter 12, verse 12. It's very easy. No, it's not. But it is. But no, it's not. It's a long story. And if you've been attending our Bible study on Wednesday nights, you've already heard this. But I just need to make sure you guys understand. So Acts chapter 12, verse 12 says... When Peter realized that he had been released from the prison and that it wasn't a dream, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. That's Mark. The guy whose name was John, whose other name was also Mark. So he's known as John. He's also known as John Mark. Wow, that's helpful. If you read in the Gospel of Mark, the arrest of Jesus, which we'll be looking at later on, closer towards Easter time, you'll see that when the arrest of Jesus takes place, the Gospel of Mark identifies that there was one young man who was standing there wearing nothing but a linen uh, cloth that he had wrapped around himself as he left his house following Jesus and his disciples who were leaving the upper room. And at the time that the arrest was going on, they were scattering because everything was going crazy. Jesus had just been arrested. There was the soldiers. There was all the art. And, and this man was standing there wearing nothing but a loincloth. And somebody came up and said, hey, you, and grabbed him by the loincloth. And it says he went running naked through the streets. That was John Mark. There's another time in the book of Acts where you read where a guy named Barnabas and a guy named Saul wanted to go on a missionary journey. And Barnabas had a young man in his life who was a cousin. And his name was John Mark. Same guy. And at the beginning of this missionary journey, John Mark, for some reason, left the team. And Paul got ticked. And Barnabas was like, oh, it's okay, he's young, he's, he's, I need to understand. And Paul was like, uh-uh, he quit. I don't want quitters on my team. So the next time they were going to go out, Barnabas said, let's get John Mark and let's go. And, John, and Paul said, uh-uh, I don't want anything to do with that quitter. And Barnabas said, but you need to give him a second. No. And so Barnabas and Paul could not come to an understanding. And so literally Barnabas and Paul, the initial missionary team that brought the gospel to the Gentile world, split. And Paul took a guy named Silas with him, and Barnabas took John Mark with him. And then tradition tells us that ultimately, John Mark became the aide, the what's called amenuensis, and I may not be saying that word correctly, who was basically a secretary or a scribe for the the apostle Peter. And when Peter would travel around wherever he went preaching and teaching, Mark was writing things down. 
And eventually, Mark becomes a pastor in his own right. And eventually, Mark raises up in prominence in the leadership of the church to where he becomes not only a pastor over a local church, but he becomes a bishop over a group of churches. And then ultimately, Mark is arrested and killed for his faith. So the young man who went running naked through the streets at the arrest of Jesus because he was so afraid ended up giving his life for Christ. And this guy, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, the one who left the ministry team, the one who went running, screaming naked in the streets, the one who ultimately became Peter's assistant, the one who ultimately um, became a bishop of the church and gave his life for Christ is the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. However, how did Mark know what Jesus said? How did Mark know where Jesus went? Mark wasn't part of the, of the crew of disciples, the followers of Jesus. He's never listed as a follower of Jesus. He doesn't come into the picture until the arrest of Jesus. So how did he learn all of this in order to be able to record it? He was the aide to Peter, one of the greatest leaders in the church, the very first disciple of Jesus, who was there from the very beginning and heard everything. And so Mark recorded as Peter taught and as Peter preached. And then that became the compilation. And it was so good. The outline that Mark, I mean, the writing that Mark did was so good that Matthew and Luke used it as a source material for the writing of their gospel. And that's why if you read the three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will see very similar storyline, very similar uh, plot line, very similar structure, because basically they took the gospel of Mark and then added to it as Matthew and Luke were writing their gospels. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Mark, the gospel, written by John Mark, the assistant to Peter. So these are probably the sermons and the teachings of the apostle Peter. All conjecture. We don't have any record that that's the proof. This is what scholars believe has happened. All right. Now, let's take it back to what I said to the kids a few minutes ago. It is important that you know false from true. And if you go and look in, and, 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 you, and do the research, you will find it is true that both in the United States and in Canada, federal agents are actually trained to be able to spot counterfeit money. But the way that they do it is they never look at counterfeit money. They only study the real thing. Like Elliot was saying, there were tiny little 100s on the back of the newer $100 bill. Take, well, take a look one time if you have one in your, in your wallet. Not right now, do it later. But if you have one in your wallet, pull it out and look at it. There are tiny little 100s printed in ink on the back of the thing that can't be picked up easily when you're, re when you're trying to reproduce a $100 bill. And so what they do is they have studied the genuine thing so much, so long, for, and looked for all of the little nuances 
so that when they come across something that's fake, instantly they can tell that it's fake. Just like Elliot said, why, there's not any of those little zero one there. Or there's the, that little strip right there, that blue thing, that's not right. It's supposed to be not because they've studied the fake, but because they've studied the real for so long and they know it so well that instantly they can tell when fake is in their presence. Now, what does that have to do with the Gospel of Mark? Lots. Let's go ahead and open up the Gospel of Mark. If you're not familiar with where it's found in the Bible, it's in the last half or quarter of the Bible. It's in what's called the New Testament. It's Matthew is the first book. Then you will find Mark. And the first chapter is what we're looking at. So Mark chapter 1. And this is what it says. In the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God... Wow, that's a bold statement. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Some manuscripts don't have the words, the Son of God. Interesting. And we can't go back to look at the originals because we don't have access to them. So we can only go back to the oldest that we have available. And some of the old ones don't have the phrase, the Son of God. So was that originally Mark's writing or was that someone who added it later? We don't know. However, the whole point of this message, the whole point of this book is to show the truth that Jesus was the Son of God. So it is probable or possible that Mark did add it and that somebody forgot it as they were scribing a copy. We don't know. We can't prove it. But you just need to know that that's part of the history of this book. Anyway, it says, As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem went out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan and confessing their sins. Now, why is this important to the story of the Messiah? Why is it important to telling the story of Jesus should the gospel writers include John the Baptist in this story? Well, if you go back a couple, three weeks in our Advent celebrations, you might recall that the angel Gabriel, oh, Gabriel's gone. I was going to point to him today. <laughs> the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her she was going to have a child. Remember that as part of the Christmas story? But before that happened, her cousin Elizabeth is married to a priest named Zechariah. And Zechariah was able to go as, as a privilege. He got called up to be the priest that go in to offer incense in the Holy of Holies at the temple. And so Zechariah is in the Holy of Holies offering incense to God when the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and tells him that in his old age, he's going to father a child and that child's name is going to be John and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to be the one to proclaim to the world, get ready, the Messiah is coming. Remember that story? Okay, that's now what's coming to play. John, the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, the cousin, kind of 
third cousin or second cousin once removed or something of Jesus is proclaiming to the nation of Israel, prepare, the Messiah is coming. Well, one of the things I thought about doing with the kids, but I decided not to, was talking about when you are at your house and your mom says, quick, grab the vacuum, grab the dustpan, grab the broom, grab the, 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 the dust cloth, we have company coming. And I'm sure most of us have experienced that in our lives. You get a phone call and now somebody's coming and we got to get the house in order because I don't want anybody to see how we live. Yeah, you've experienced that for yourself or you know somebody who does that. Okay, so there's this flurry of activity before the person comes that's important. So you're brushing and sweeping and vacuuming and cleaning and scrubbing. Oh, make sure you clean out the toilet. I don't want it to stink in there. Seriously, do you not do that when you have company coming over? Please tell me you do, because I don't want to. <laughs> That's exactly what's going on here with John the Baptist. The Messiah is coming, you better clean up. And he's calling them to an attitude of repentance. And they actually start getting baptized as a symbol of, I'm washing away all of my darkness, all of my dirt. I'm getting my heart right before God in anticipation of the Messiah coming. And that was actually foretold in the books of Moses. Let's turn there real quick. Moses, the book, one of the first five books of the Bible is called the books of Moses, the book of the law. And in the book of Moses, Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Bible, so it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and following, okay, so it's the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and then 18 verses 15 and following says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in that they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of that one. But the prophets who presume to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded them to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And you see, that's why when John the Baptist came and started proclaiming the Messiah is coming, get your houses clean and get ready. The Messiah is coming. Who came and challenged him? The religious leaders of the people of Israel. Why were they doing that? Because... Deuteronomy said, 
God was going to send a prophet who was going to herald the way for the Lord. But you better not believe just anybody. You need to test them. You need to make sure that they're truly speaking the word of God. And so that's what the Pharisees were doing when they came out to John in the wilderness and said, what right, what authority do you have? They actually ask him in one of the other gospels, are you the one that was foretold? Are you the prophet? John himself says, nope, I wasn't. But he was. Now, was he lying? I don't think so. I just don't think he recognized even in himself what was going on. Because see, we have the benefit of 2020 hindsight. We can look back and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I understand all of that. But they're living it. They're, they're walking it day by day in the moment. They don't know exactly what's going on. All John knows is that he's being told by the Spirit of God, say this. So he's living out what God has told him to do. And the Pharisees are having to test him. But the people are responding to this word and falling on their faces before God and saying, cleanse me, cleanse me. I, I want to be ready for when the Messiah comes. And then all of a sudden, John and Jesus are standing in a river. And I don't fully understand why, quite honestly. Theologically, I just don't get it. Because Jesus is God. We, we understand from our theology, Jesus is fully God. He is also fully human. How? I don't know. I just have to accept that on faith. But how can fully God ever be guilty of sin? He can't. You can't violate your own self. You know what I'm saying? So if he can't sin, what was he repenting of by being baptized? Because John was doing a baptism of repentance. And it's not explained to us what's going on. All we know is that Jesus comes to be baptized and John goes, wait a minute. I should be being baptized by you. And Jesus said, let's just do this. It is right for us to do this. We don't understand it from our perspective. Even to this day, we don't fully understand what was going on. But what happened as soon as Jesus comes up out of the water? Look at it. Mark, Mark chapter 1. What does it say? I, I closed my Bible. Sorry. I'm going to keep it open for that page. Otherwise, it's going to take time for me to keep going back. Okay. What does it say? Verse 9, you said? Okay, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he, and I'm assuming this is talking about Jesus, but it might have been John. Because John in the Gospel of John talks about what he saw. So I'm not sure. He saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Something happened. When Jesus was baptized, something in the heavens changed. I don't fully understand it. I had one scholar that I was reading that said, in the same way, that the veil in the temple was torn at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, the veil of heaven was torn open, allowing the presence of God to come back into all of creation at the time of Jesus' baptism. 
I have no explanation or answer to that other than going, wow, that's an interesting thought. Honestly, I have not been able to process that yet for myself. But something happened. Jesus saw it for sure. And maybe, oh, I just saw the dove. That used to be the star of Bethlehem. Now it's a dove coming down on Jesus. Cool, Elsie. Thank you. Sorry. I'm I'm doing my little ADD thing here. Look, a butterfly. (laughs) Look at this. Look at this. You see that? That's the angel. That's the Holy Spirit of God descending on Christ at the time of his baptism. Woo! Okay. Sorry. Wow. Got to get back into the sermon, Bob. Okay. Um, He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, and the voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Do you realize? Mark doesn't say Holy Trinity here, but he sure shows it. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Right there in the gospel. Don't let anybody tell you that the Trinity is not a biblical concept. It's right there. Anyway. Okay, so John's out of the picture now. Jesus is baptized. He gets taken out into the desert to be tempted. And then look at verse 14. Now after John was arrested. Now we don't have time. Gospel Mark doesn't discuss it. And we don't have time this morning to discuss it. But know that God brought John off the stage and put Jesus back center stage as the gospel progresses. So after John was arrested, Jesus comes into Galilee, up in the northern part of Galilee, just north of the Sea of Galilee, in the villages of Capernaum and Bethsaida. And I always forget the other one. There's three. Anyway. Um, he's up there proclaiming the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. So if your translation says good news, it's the same as gospel. It's a Greek word, eugelon or evagelon or something like that. I'm not a Greek scholar, but basically it means proclaim good, to say good things. So they're proclaiming the gospel of God, which is the good news. As a Jesus is proclaiming it, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I'm not going to say that this is the only time, but this is one of the only times you'll ever hear the word repent come out of Jesus' mouth. And I was like, what? Wait a minute, what? That's, just, that's the teaching. Wait, no, 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 no. No, that's not the teaching. Move down farther and you'll see what Jesus' teaching is. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew. Oh, for those of you who don't know, Simon is Peter, the guy who Mark was the aide to. He was known as Simon before Jesus changed his name, and we'll read that later on. Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, who were brothers, and he saw them casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed 
him. Jesus' words, Jesus' teaching, the primary message of the gospel, according to Jesus, is follow me. What does that mean? Well, let me give you a couple quotes from some of my reading, and then we'll talk. First of all, this is from a guy named Marks, uh, David Smith in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark from the Wesleyan Publishing House. And he said, salvation and holiness are not duties to be performed in a specific and prescribed manner. Rather, they are a life to be lived in a purposeful direction. They are a call to utter abandonment of self and of service to others. Let me restate that. Salvation and holiness are not duties to be performed in a specific and prescribed manner, but a life to be lived in a purposeful direction. They are a call to utter abandonment of self and of service to others. This living out your life in a purposeful direction, follow me. Do you know that the word repent literally means to turn from? In other words, I'm walking down the road, doo, 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 and I interact with Jesus, and he says, come and follow me. And I go 180 degrees, and I begin following him. Now, it's not really necessarily 180 degrees. It could be 90 degrees. It could be 75 degrees. Who cares? The bottom line is I change direction. The path that I was on is my choosing, my life, my desires, my goals. And when Jesus intersects with my life and says, follow me, Bob, I no longer follow my goals, my dreams, my hopes, my desires. I alter, I repent, if you will. I turn from, I change my direction, and I begin following him. So what did Jesus teach in this idea of follow me? And we're not going to take time to really dissect it. We're just going to just touch it this morning because we will come back to it later on in our study of the book. <coughs> Excuse me. But if you will turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Verses 34 through 38. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
for whatever for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels now just go a little bit farther into chapter 9 look at chapter 9 verse 35 When he's asked, who is the greatest? Verse 33, it says, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, who were you? What were you discussing on the way? And they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest amongst themselves. And he sat down and he called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So Jesus' teaching is, Deny yourself, take up the cross that I'm giving you, and follow me. And if you want to be first, you still got it wrong. If you want to be great, you need to stop seeking your own greatness and allow yourself to be last and allow yourself to serve others. And then, again, just a little bit farther, probably just a turn of the page for you, Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be the servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. The gospel of God, the gospel according to Mark, is good news. The good news is every single one of us have access to God now. Why? Because God sent his only son and through certain things, the heavens were opened to us again. And the end result is you need to do something in transaction with God to enter into this right relationship. And that transaction is not cleaning up your house. Okay? The transaction is not stopping your cussing or stopping your stealing, or stopping being mean to your sibling. That's not the action that needs to take place. Those things may take place as a result, but what needs to take place is you need to say to God when he says to me, follow me, yes, I will follow you. What does that mean? Well, we just saw, first of all, God may give you a cross. What in the world is that? Well, in that world, a cross meant a death. So it may mean that you need to die to something. Maybe not a physical death, but maybe death to a dream. Or death to a hope, or death to a wish, or death to a goal. I don't know. I know in my life, God would not allow me to pursue being a professional 
entertainer. I had a goal from the time I was eight years old until I was a young adult to be a professional entertainer. I wanted to be on the stage. I wanted to be in movies. As a matter of fact, I have been in a professional Hollywood made movie. So there, I'm all that. I have been on television, sung on television, thank you very much. Remember the Praise the Lord show with the, the lady with all the makeup? <laughs> I sang on their show. But God took that from me because he had other things for me. And it literally was a death for me. It was a death of a dream, something I had carried from the time I was a little kid. But I wanted to follow Jesus more than I wanted to follow myself. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do what Jesus wanted and wanted of me. I wanted to bring glory to God. And as a result, I am living such a full and rich and fulfilled existence by being privileged to pastor this little church in the middle of nowhere in the farthest North Church of the Nazarene in the world. <laughs> but I love it. I find such satisfaction in it. I think much more than I ever would had I been a millionaire from being a professional entertainer. And I had the talent to do it, folks. I could have done it. But the other thing that we hear is not just this death to whatever, taking up the cross and following, but he says, if you want to be great, if you want to be first, you need to learn to be last. You want to be first and great, you need to be willing to be the servant or the slave to everyone else. In other words, you need to clean the toilet when the company's coming, not handing handing it off to someone else. And then I, I want to take it right back to the $100 bill thing as I close up. How do I know I'm truly following Jesus the right way? I have to know what he said. I have to know what he taught. I have to know how he lived. And the only way to know it is through the book of God. Reading about the story. Going to Bible studies and interacting with others. Because sometimes I may misread something if I just do it on my own. In the book of Hebrews it says... Do not forsake the gathering together of believers. And it says there's this iron sharpening iron thing that takes place where we we build each other up. So it's a matter of reading the word of God, being with fellow believers on a regular basis to help each other grow in our faith and walk in whatever it is that God is asking of us. And continually, always, always, always keeping our focus on Jesus and matching up. Am I doing it that way? There's that old, I hated it. I hated it. It was a book called In His Steps by Charles somebody or other. And it was, what would Jesus do? And everyone wore a rubber bracelet that said, what would Jesus do? WWJD. You remember that? Well, that book is over 100 years old, folks. That story's been around for a long time. It was made cheesy in the 90s. What would Jesus do is following Jesus. Doing what he would do. 
And the only way you can know it is if you study the real thing, not the fake things. You've got to study the life of Christ through the book of God, not the Charles Stanley 30 Days to Being a Better Christian book or the Beth Moore I've Got a New Bible Study Out book or the video series by Ray Vanderlaan. Those are all great tools to help refine what you've read in here. But if you never read this, you will never know who the real Jesus is. You'll just learn about somebody else's reading about Jesus and somebody else's thoughts about Jesus. You need to chew on it for yourself. You need to know this backwards, forwards, inside and out, so that, as it said in 1 John chapter 4, you can test the spirits to know when you're being presented with false. Follow him. Follow him. Make that the way you plan to live 2024. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that we have your word in our own language. And, and it is an accessible form. I can reach up and pull it off the shelf anytime I want. But the challenge is I have to pull it off the shelf myself. I have to open it myself. I have to read it myself. I have to take the time to read it. I have to be intentional and pay attention while I'm reading it, not just have the TV going while I'm just cursoring, running a cursor for your finger through the book. Father, help me, help me, help me. And Father, I pray that as we go through this coming year, each one of us can cross over into 2025 saying, I am so much more like Jesus than I was a year ago. Father, I thank you and I praise you and I give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.